Ingrid, take us away. Hello, and welcome to Remotivation, a podcast about remote working. And among various topics, we try to dissect this new emerging lifestyle. How do you become a remote worker? What are some of the skills and tools that you need? How do you manage people remotely? And so on. And today I have with me Marcus, my co-host. Yay! And uh, Joshua Rala from the company Think It. Hello there. Hi. Hey, Josh. How are, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. How are you doing? <laughs> Great. Where, where are you dialing in from? Um, I am dialing in from Tunis at the moment. Um, so sitting in Tunisia in our offices, but um, heading back to Berlin on Friday. Wow. Okay. How, how is Tunisia? Uh, at this time of the year, it's amazing. I mean, uh, similar, similarly hot to, to Oslo at the moment, um, but now it's still bearable. But I think if you stay there for another two months, then it's getting really, really hot. But uh, yeah, these days it's, it's perfect. Wow. Cool. Awesome. So we have invited the Joshua to talk about his company, uh, which, have, uh, which Forbes has called the startup with a social conscience and a solution for the global tech talent crisis. So Joshua, do you want to tell us a little bit about what your company does and also how it was started? Yes, sure. Happy to do so. Um, so yeah, I'm uh, one of the co-founders of Thinkit. And essentially, we are a collective of leaders that is leveraging a data-driven approach to identifying and developing top engineering talent across the region, across North Africa. Um, so we're accelerating young engineers through holistic learning experience, and then we integrate them virtually in teams. So heavily kind of driving on the, on the trend towards remote work to connect people in this region with global job opportunities. And um, I think overall, we've been doing this for roughly a year now. Um, and uh, yeah, so far, uh, been an amazing experience and um, I'm very curious to hear from from your side. Wow. So who are your companies? What kind of companies do you see have a need for for this kind of talent? Yeah, I mean, I think it's you, you have it across the globe, essentially. I mean, if we if we look at the states, you have by 2020, one million open positions in, in ICT and software engineering. If you look at Europe, it's it's similar. I mean, it's not that many, but um, projected to be 500,000. So basically, all companies are in need of, of talent, um, specifically in, in software engineering, computer science, and it's just incredibly difficult to find all these people in your in your city or in your region. Hmm. Um, that's why I mean, I think you know that better than than anyone else. That's why more and more people are looking towards different regions and different talent pools and. Um, are leveraging remote work to actually find the talent that they need to build their companies. Um, I think for us, it's mostly working with tech companies and startups um, because they are much more open towards this new way of working as compared to looking at a corporate or so. Um, so that's, that's basically the ones that we're mostly working with. So what has been your experience with uh, integrating your engineers into Teams uh, working remotely or what kind of support do they need from you in that process? Yeah, I think, I mean, overall us because, um, on, I mean, we are helping companies to basically set up remote work environments, but at the same time, we're learning ourselves, right? Um, I mean, we started as a remote team, as a remote founding team. I mean, I, um, Funny story on, on that end, I met my co-founder Amal in person the first time we set our feet off, uh, on the ground in Tunis. And, and that's when we were already working on, 
the concept and the idea for really, I think, seven, eight months. Um, so that was kind of quite interesting to, on the one hand, experience ourselves, what it means to be a remote team and what it means to be a partly remote company um, and using and leveraging these learnings to help organizations to set it up for themselves. Um, I think that um, the main learning or most interesting part for us is that uh, you have, I mean, it, it pretty much depends on, on the setting in the company um, and on the mindset um, much more than it, it depends on, on our engineers. Um, mm. So it's really about helping, helping the teams that are sitting in, I don't know, in Berlin or in New York to make this model work um, more than it is to, to basically get our engineers to get into this remote work manner. What, what's been some of the challenges um, helping teams to set up this, um, these kinds of teams in your experience? Yeah, I think um, that mostly it's it's kind of a mindset, it's a habit. Do you set up a video conferencing system for every meeting that you have? I mm. mean, it's really simple, right? Mm. Um, but if you don't do it as um, as a default, uh, then sometimes it gets very difficult for, for someone from remote to basically participate in that entire meeting and some information gets lost. Um, I think it's also um, very, I mean, it, funny for us to see that um, sometimes the internet connection in Berlin breaks down uh, and doesn't allow for um, for video conferencing. Whereas in Tunis, you have I don't know a, a one gigabit um, connection that comes straight from the from the um, cables uh, at the coast. Really? Yeah, that's. I mean, it's you have these typical situations where someone is dialing in and you say, like, "Hey, hey, can you understand me? Can you hear me?" Um, in between, it picks up, and so kind of. On the one hand, building a certain resilience for this, yeah. um, not getting frustrated by this. I, I think that's probably your experience too, right? Um, that, that there are like certain things that you just need to factor in when working remotely. Yeah, we definitely see that. And also the regarding the Wi-Fi, we see that bad office Wi-Fi is like the biggest source of problems for our customers that appear in. They can have really good broadband into the building, but because the router is overcrowded, then people get crappy connections. So just plugging in the cable can solve that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, we have we have one of our clients who is uh, based in Berlin, um, very central, but they are very close to um, the main or like the headquarters of the German National Security Service. Um, and so their signal gets frequently interrupted by that, um, which kind of causes huge issues for them to actually set up a stable internet connection. And uh, that can be very frustrating at times. What about the communication in teams? Um, have you seen anything there of the, the ones who are really excelling? Anything that they do to make the people remotely feel included, for example? Yeah, I think um, that, I mean, empathy for the, others, the other person's situation plays a huge role. Um, I think that's also something that we realize our engineers are sitting in our offices in, in Tunis, but they can also work remotely at times. Um, my co-founder and CTO um, is currently working from Seattle. Um, so she's the one that's kind of working remotely and our people are the ones sitting in the office. Um, so they basically can empathize with a client that's sitting in the office while they are being the only ones that are remote. Um, and by kind of taking this other perspective, you learn what it means to be in the other person's shoes. Um, but I, I fully agree with you that communication and especially proactive communication is key. Um, I think the, the ones in our team also that are excelling at this 
Um, they right from the start, they schedule meetings to get to know people in person. They frequently communicate and just share what they're doing, although it might not be relevant at this time. Um, but they just give much more of a feeling that, okay, hey, I'm here, I'm, I'm working on this and that, um, and, and just frequently updating. And I think that's also for us makes a huge difference in how well the collaboration is going. Hmm. So, so tell us about uh, Africa. Why, why Africa? That's, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, great, great question. I mean, um, essentially, my two co-founders are from the region. Um, and we, we basically took the premise that we said, okay, um, brilliance or talent is more or less evenly distributed across the world. It doesn't really depend on ethnicity or passport or anything. Absolutely. Um, why is it that um, you have on the one hand tech ecosystems in Europe and, and the US that are super well developed where people in, in New York as a recent graduate, you earn like 100, uh, like 70, 80K as a starting salary as a software engineer. Um, and then there are other regions, specifically Africa and North Africa um, that remain largely unconsidered. Hmm. Um, and so we started doing research on um, specifically looking at countries that had a very high level of education but also very high level of youth unemployment. And um, when you look at these numbers, then Tunisia stands out. Um, and then we digged a little deeper and we found that there is already a huge number of, of graduates like um, finishing their studies in, in IT, but they don't find jobs. And um, my co-founder being a computer scientist from Tunis um, and having studied in New York, she said, hey, the people in my home country, they are." as skilled as I am. And now I'm working at Amazon. They are working in a, in a crappy maintenance center in Tunis. Mm. Um, and that's when we, when we started kind of conceptualizing what can you build to basically solve that need and, and solve that pain point. And then obviously when you look at the States and in Germany, the jobs are available. Um, all it needs is basically someone building that bridge and making the connection mm. between in one market and the opportunities in others. Yeah, that's that's super interesting. That and, and that is a global trend. I mean, we're we're uh, we're we're seeing this in across the world where there is talent. Like you say, it's evenly distributed, and uh, talent can come from anywhere. And uh, so, so you know, very much a global trend. Uh, how do you how do you see this developing into the next five to ten years? How do you how do you see these massive platforms like yourself? Um, think it. How do you see these uh, sort of uh, becoming a part of this new e ecosystem of people, platforms, and systems? Yeah, I think that there is a huge wave uh, ahead of us. Um, I think what you see now is basically the first steps of of something that will be the norm in in five, ten years from now. Um, I think that I mean platforms such as Upwork or Freelance.com they um, basically started this trend. Um, and then you have successful companies such as Automatic or, uh, or GitHub that were completely distributed. Um, there's still a kind of pain points to it, which is why also a lot of companies still shy away from, from leveraging it. Um, and you have tools such as Appear in that make the entire experience much more seamless. And I think that is, that is what we're going to see over the next couple of years increasingly. I mean, I don't know, um, Ingrid, how, how do you see it in terms of um, I believe that tools are like having the right tools is what's going to make the difference whether this will work or not. But how do you see it? 
Yeah, I think, uh, well, first of all, I think what's really interesting about your model with uh, Thinkit is that compared to traditional outsourcing, where India, for example, has taken a really big position and Eastern Europe as well, is, um, is that you actually embed the engineers into the company and they work for the company um, as more of a, uh, like a full-time engineer. Uh, but they get extra support, mentoring and follow-up from your side. Um, and that kind of lowers the risk for, for the company by having them as a more integrated team member and they can be part of the culture, which I think is essential for succeeding with remote work. Yeah. Um, whereas with an, a fully outsourced team, you don't get to build a kind of identity and the same um, close collaboration culture. Um, so what, what are some of the essential steps there to actually making that transition smooth and value adding? Yeah. Okay. I mean, to um, also briefly touch on, on your point, Ingrid, I think you're very right when, when you say that there is a fundamental difference between having a traditional outsourcing agency and the kind of model that we're offering, which is also due to the fact that um, if you are a large corporate and you have, I don't know, a development center outsourced in India, you have sitting, I don't know, three, 400 people there. That's a different story. And it's also um, a different need, right? In a startup, it's much more about having very close relationships with your coworkers. Culture is kind of an essential part of, of building a business, a successful business. Um, and so by working with startups and, and young companies, it's just such a huge difference if someone feels like they are part of the team. Um, mm. That is vice versa. I mean, you said that, that, that you require that or that you would like to see that from an employee, but it's also for a remote worker. He or she wants to have the feeling I'm not just supporting that team, but I'm part of that team. Um, yeah. And that changes everything in terms of loyalty, in, term, in terms of commitment, in terms of going the extra mile. Um, so this full integration is, is an incredibly important step to our model. Um, I think there's two things that are important. Um, one that we observed that's also an interesting insight is um, that if you start working remotely, but you have an initial period of just a week or two where you see each other in person, um, it can change the entire collaboration. Just having met someone for once um, and then continuing the collaboration in a, in a remote way um, can be a very different experience than if you, uh, if you never see each other. Uh, I would definitely second that. And uh, so we do that usually with all the remote employees that we onboard when they start. We fly them in, even if it's from the US or, or somewhere else. And we also uh, try to have a physical offsite with the whole team. Uh, every six months to gather everyone in one place, let them get drunk together, share ideas, just uh, hang out and get to know each other. Because I really think building those personal relationships really builds trust in the team. And that allows people to have the really hard discussions or to not misinterpret each other when you're communicating uh, remotely or virtually afterwards. Um, but I think also from, from my perspective of building a tool, that is meant to make this easier and increase people's collaboration and productivity. I think we really focus on making the experience as close to being face-to-face -face as possible um, and, and building trust through uh, letting people be as productive when working remotely as when you are in the same location. Yeah.
So um, build, building on that, um, Josh, um, so I, I, yesterday I was at this conference and, and uh, happened to meet the, the founder of Fiverr.com, which is also yeah. uh, one yeah. of these uh, platforms, hugely successful. And uh, the topic was AI. This was an AI conference uh, here in Norway. And um, yeah, very interesting to hear his thoughts on, on AI, uh, you know, intelligent, you know, algorithms, um, the, and this was his next startup. So he, he sort of left Fiverr, is now um, running a company called Lemonade, which mm-hmm. is an insurance uh, company, sort of data-driven insurance company. That's uh, where I think there was like 30, 40% of all incoming uh, sort of cases, insurance insurance cases and claims were, were there were never a, a person involved in that transaction. Uh, that was all AI sort of yeah. um, uh, algorithms and machine learning that's, that can extrapolate needs and, and sort of understand the context and, and make sure that this is, you know, not something, a fake claim or, or, or can sort of uh, with, with uh, confidence that they can sort of make a decision that, yes, there is a payout to be made. So that was actually 40%, which is actually quite impressive. But, but uh, in, in the context of AI and these platforms, um, yeah. How do you see that playing a role, maybe now or in the future, for for Thinkit? Yeah, I think for us it already plays a role because um, when I said in the beginning, I mean we're using a data-driven approach to identify and develop talent. So it's it's a very scientific approach of saying, okay, you look for um, top problem-solving skills and you look for a high learning propensity because essentially when we look at the future of work. Um, on the one hand, you have remote work, but it's also how do you prepare people for jobs that don't exist yet? And the future hot skills that you need to learn is on the one hand, problem solving skills, and on the one hand, just being able to pick up new things quickly. Um, and so in order to identify those key traits that are important for us when we take someone into our program, um, we already use algorithms, et cetera, that show us who is in the top five percentile of problem solvers on a global scale. Um, and then later on throughout the training, we look at what are kind of the, the, the learning slopes um, and how can you use this data to basically structure a better learning program for someone. Um, I mean, our steps are very, very nascent when, when it comes to that. But I believe that this is going to be um, a really big thing for, for Thinkit as well, um, on the, just on the identification and training side. On the other side, um, all those platforms will also increasingly leverage AI to find better matches between um, people who have projects and people who want to work on projects. Mm. Um, with, with Facebook Workplace now starting um, to, to target that market, uh, Google is kind of also making first steps there. I think that we're also going to see a lot of change happening on that end. Mm. That's super, super interesting. Uh, without sort of... <laughs> so, so I want to dig deeper into that because that... Um... I think there's a lot of people who who uh, who find that interesting. Without sort of disclosing your secret sauce, how how are you using data driven this data driven approach to find top talent? Yeah. Um, so I mean, on the one hand, is we receive just a lot of applications from the region because in the end there is not really an alternative opportunity within Tunisia. Mm. I mean, most people then leave the country, and so in order to go through all these applications. Um, and you don't really want to le- like rely on looking at a CV and saying, okay, hey, yeah, that one makes it to the next round. 
um, we're leveraging um, algorithms where people basically ask questions across multiple different dimensions. Mm. Um, and the way they answer these questions gives us an insight on are they more like stronger on the problem solving side? Are they stronger like related to people and, and team skills, team um, collaboration? And throughout this set of, I think it's 60, 70 questions, um, we can basically already on top of the funnel make a selection of who makes it to the next round. Um, and then um, we've told, I mean, we're building our own tool now that is um, having like coding challenge, uh, coding challenges, and then automating these code assessments um, gives you another score of, of how well is someone doing on a particular coding problem. Um, and then these data you can basically use and leverage to say, okay, hey, now these people are, are moving to the next step. So that's just as a, as a broad overview. Nice. That is super interesting. So, uh, doing it actually, Ingrid. I mean, you, you must be receiving also a lot of, lot of applications from, um, from people all across the world. I mean, since you are a remote company, how do you make sure that you get the, the right people? So uh, I wish I could say the same as you, but <laughs> unfortunately, we don't have uh, as a sophisticated process. Uh, yet we haven't done uh, a lot of it hiring. Sounds like the lab. perfect partnership. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we can take that on after the call. <laughs> but um, but basically, we have uh, in the past we have um, used quite a lot of practical tasks where we actually send the candidate uh, a coding task and they send us some code back. Um, also, looking at people's GitHub profiles um, mm. kind of gives us an impression. Uh, before we do uh, interviews hmm. and then um, we do a lot of remote interviews obviously um, and that tends to work well sometimes we can do pair programming um, remotely as well yeah um, I, think, I think this is a very interesting point because um, you know uh, there's a lot of things happening within the IT and the internet space which tends to sort of uh, um, tends to be a standard for other industries. Um, so uh, this whole thing with, you know, selecting people based on their actual um, competence that you can measure and KPIs, do you think this will also sort of um, uh, filter into or, or, or be the norm for other sort of areas that traditionally hasn't been, hasn't been measured, like HR, like... I mean, accounting, of course, it seems that, you know, you can probably do some of the same stuff there. But, uh, you know, HR engineers, uh, uh, people yeah, uh, doing marketing sales, I mean, where you can actually get them to sort of, you can actually measure what they what they know and not what, what's based on their CV. Because, you know, everyone knows the CV can be, you know, it's, it's basically a, a bragging list, right? I definitely think so, or I hope so, because the the whole approach to like doing personality tests and uh, and just traditional interviews, mm. I think it's very right for for um, fresh thinking. Mm. Um, and I really like your approach to to measuring learning and product solving skills, because essentially, like none of us, at least in this industry, none of us have done this before, and and we have to figure out uh, as we go and learn on the job. Uh, so I think those are really, really crucial skills. Well, like none of us have made a podcast before we started doing this. Marcus, <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> probably, probably, maybe you can tell. <laughs> but uh, but Josh, um, what, what are you? What are your thoughts on this? In, you know, in terms of IT becoming the norm for other sort of disciplines in the future. 
I think, I mean, when we look at the future hot skills, again, I mean, I think eight out of 10 are in, in software development. I mean, every company nowadays mm. is becoming a software company somehow. Um, so if you want to prepare people, young people for um, the future of work, for the future labor market, then it's just, I mean, you're just going to be sure that if you teach them software development skills, if you teach them problem solving skills, that they'll be equipped to succeed in tomorrow's global labor market. Mm. Um, and that's what, what also for us is kind of allowing the region to, to basically leapfrog. Um, because if you know how to work as a remote worker now, you have a huge advantage um, over the, the, the common um, computer science student in Germany or, uh, or Norway. Um, so, I believe that. Yeah, that, yeah that's, that's, that's interesting. So, so uh, what do you see as one, some of the unfair advantages uh, coming out of Tunisia? The unfair advantages. Um, I think the unfair advantage for someone coming from Tunisia um, I mean, for the region. So, so you're saying, you know, that they they can sort of take a position there with remote workers. What do you think is uh, some of the uh, some of the strengths of Tunisia or you know African African culture in general uh, when it comes to taking a position to to sort of offer IT skilled savvy people? Mm -hmm. um, okay, I think for, we are mostly focused on North Africa, so. Um, I think it would be uh, unfair to kind of judge the entire continent now. Yes. Um, but um, from a North African perspective, uh, you can see that over the past 20, 25 years, huge investments have been made into um, IT education. Mm. Um, and the, the, the region is naturally strong when it comes to mathematics and algorithmic thinking. Mm. Um, that is definitely a strong point. Um, and then it's, it's simply, I mean, if you have a pain point to solve, which is you don't have jobs in your country, mm. um, and you have to be creative and, and look for new ways. And that's exactly what, what we're doing at the moment. Um, then you have to build these remote skills if you want to um, basically tap into, into global job opportunities. And by doing this, you're learning something and you, you, you're getting insights about something that other people haven't even touched on. Um, and... I think now starting, I mean, if we, for example, we see the, the blockchain space as a very interesting point to, to get into because um, people here haven't really started building a lot of deep technical skills in other parts, um, so they can easily get started on blockchain development. Um, it's much cheaper to do it here. And uh, that's how they can basically get an unfair advantage over software engineers in, in other regions of the world. Yeah. And it's uh, one interesting idea is also what will happen once a couple of cohorts have gone through your program and gotten experience from working with um, startups in Berlin or Silicon Valley or Norway. Um, will they go out and start their own startups in Tunisia? Um, yeah, I, mean, I guess you won't certainly. see the effect of that yet, but, uh, but you might uh, a couple of years down the line. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's definitely too early to tell, but um, I certainly, or we certainly hope so, and we also want to nurture that. Um, I mean, we're purposely working with startups and, and, and young tech companies because you have this entrepreneurial spirit in the teams. Um, and that environment is also sparking something within our engineers that they say, hey, yes, at some point I'd like to start my own business, but you just need to first be equipped with the skills, specifically leadership skills, in order to go out there and, and, and start your own business. Um, I think for, for us, um, we're very much focused on, on the moment, um, on getting everything up and running, building 
proper processes. We still have a lot of things where we need to get better at, but it's very exciting to see what can happen in the future. Um, what will future cohorts do? Will you be able um, to build a global network of companies that collaborate where Tunisia or North Africa is just an integral part of, of this community of um, at a global network that is working across borders to solve global problems. Mm. Um, so I think that there's so many opportunities that lie ahead of us mm. and it's extremely exciting for, for us as a team to, to work at the forefront of these very crucial questions. Mm. Cool. So I think we need to start uh, wrapping up. But uh, before we do, if some of our listeners are, uh, they are a startup and they're wondering, how can I uh, get these developers on my team? <laughs> Explain, walk us uh, through the process that you have for onboarding new customers or clients. Yes. I mean, it's very simple. Um, reach out to us on uh, either our website or on Facebook. I mean, you can directly ping me at hiringathinkit.io. Um, and then what happens is that we go on an exploratory call where we um, first want to build a relationship with, with um, the, the company because um, it's, as you said before, it's very important that this collaboration works out well. Mm. Um, and you first need to assess what are kind of the, the values that we share. Um, it's a very, very much trust-based and long-term relationship that you're building. Um, and then throughout this, this first call, we, we get to know what are their concrete needs and, and what are maybe also their, their long-term um, needs that we could build for. Um, and then just starting off with a first um, period of like say two to three months that they onboard one engineer um, and see how things are going. Um, mm. Because in the end, it's, it's still a new model for, for many people. Mm. Um, so just giving it a try and seeing, okay, hey, let's, let's try a new way. Um, that has been working super well for um, for our current customers, is, and is, we're very happy that all of them are still with us. Is there any particular sort of uh, skills uh, within sort of well, the field of development is quite broad, right? So, is there anything you specialize in, or is it like full stack? Is it is it one particular sort of language? Is it the whole thing? Uh, you know, database, program languages, infrastructure, you know, platforms. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, thanks for the question. I mean, uh, we specialize on three fields. Um, one is traditional full stack web development with a focus on newest JavaScript frameworks and, um, and Python. Um, the second one is um, looking at um, data science and abstract knowledge of machine learning algorithms. Um, and the third one is more in the DevOps and um, and AWS cloud. Uh, so looking at Docker, Kubernetes. Um, that's where we where we currently focus our efforts on, because that's where we also see the strongest demand coming from the market. Mm. And and what and what's your sort of dream dream startup? Uh, who are they, and what do they need, and and uh, how can you help them? Okay, uh, my dream startup is currently building a tool to make remote work easier. Um, don't know if you heard of them. I think they're called Appear In. <laughs> that's a good pitch no, i think that matches very well yeah yeah okay <laughs> cool that we know that cool well um thanks this was super cool uh great to get to know the, the company and you uh josh no thank thanks you for for having me and um i'd be very very interesting i'd be very excited to see where all this is going to lead us also from, from your side, Marcus. Um, I mean, you work on, on innovation 
um, and to see how, how all these things are going to develop in the next two to five years. Absolutely. And we'd, we'd love to check back in with you actually in, a, in a, maybe a, a year's time to see how yes. things have progressed. Uh, Definitely. But yeah. Absolutely. And uh, if anyone wants to get in touch with uh, Josh and his team or read more about it, you can go to their website, uh, think-it.io. And, and if anyone wants to get in touch with us, it's uh, it's the same as always. Hi at uh, remotivationpodcast.com or ping me and Ingrid directly. And we would be happy to take any uh, sort of leads, people we should talk to, uh, topics and uh, other interesting things. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Uh, I'm signing out from, from sunny Norway. It's... Uh, and... Uh, this is potentially the last uh, podcast b before we take a summer break, uh, even though we already had a, a long break. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it was basically summer here in Norway for the past yeah, month. It has been. <laughs> okay, guys. Great to, great to catch up. Have a great day. Okay. Bye. Bye.